Um, anyways, I want to start with a story today from the Bible, uh, 2 Samuel 6. And what we have here is we have King David is newly on the throne. He has pulled uh, the country together. Uh, there's been some trouble after the first King Saul. And David has uh, conquered some enemies. He now has Jerusalem has, as his capital city. And does anybody, has anybody ever seen, uh, let's see, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, that's based off of, like, the gold box in that movie is from the Bible. Now, nothing else in that movie is biblically accurate, but that's beside the point. The Ark of the Covenant was a real thing. And it was the symbol of the presence, the manifest presence of God. And so the people of Israel would have that in the middle of their entire community of million plus people. And it would be in a special tent they called the tabernacle, which was a portable temple. I don't want to put you to sleep here, but you got to get caught up, okay? This had been left and hanging out basically at somebody's house. Now the kingdom is settled. David has his capital city, which would now be known as the city of David, Jerusalem. And he wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem to have it back in the center of their community. Make sense? Okay, so stay with me in this story. It says, David, again, gathered all the elite troops in Israel. He is making a big deal about this. 30,000 in all. He leads them to Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the presence of the Lord, and his name is on it. And there's these two uh, carved angels on top. And so this thing is awesome, and they're wanting to bring it back, and they're excited. It says they placed the ark of God on a new cart. They brought it from Abinadab's house, cool name, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ohio, if you wondered if Ohio is in the Bible, it is right there. Ohio. You just got to say it like you're from... Yeah, from the south. Okay, Abinadab's sons were guiding the cart that carried the Ark of God. So you're picturing this, right? Ark of the Covenant on a cart coming down a hill. Two guys are by the cart. Well, it says Ohio is walking in front of the Ark, so we're in a good spot. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, Anybody play those? And symbols. Party time. This is a celebration. This is a victory parade. Okay? Cleveland gets one of those like every 30 years. Uh, might be another 30. We'll see. This is a victory parade. But get this. Verse 6. But then they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, and the ox stumbled. No person's fault here. And Uzzah reached out his hand, Tell your neighbor, reached out his hand to steady the Ark of the Covenant. Like if I saw a United States flag, like one of our flags starting to fall, you would want to keep it from hitting the ground, right? Well, take how you feel about our flag and multiply it times a gazillion. That's how these people felt about the Ark of the Covenant. So this all makes sense, right? Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah. And God struck him dead because of this. Hmm. What you talking about, Willis? So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Verse 8, David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place 
basically what means to burst out in anger against Uzzah. David was now afraid of the Lord. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord into my care? And so he moves it to another family's home. Pretty wild story. Today, we are finishing our series, Something Strong. It says that this ark gets placed into this other home of this family called Obed-Edom. And it said that everything around this house began to be blessed. And so the news gets to David because he's back in his city. He's frustrated because he like freaks out after this whole incident with Uzzah. Party's over. Park the ark. We got to figure this thing out. I just said park the ark. Yes, I did. That's tweetable, by the way. No, it isn't. Don't. Get this. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. He realizes that God wants it to be in, in Jerusalem, so he, he tries again. This time he has men carrying the ark, the men that were supposed to, the priests. It says, David made a sacrifice, and then here we go. And David danced before the Lord. If you hear screaming, by the way, the kids are doing double dare outside. It is slime-tastic, and it is going to be awesome. So just deal with it. It says, David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David, with all the people of Israel, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. We'll get back to that in just a minute. We have been on a journey to define true strength by looking at how men uniquely reflect the image of God. And ladies, if this is your first time in a while, you had the month of May, so get over it, okay? You want to hear them. They're all on Facebook or find it off our website. We are looking at how men uniquely reflect the image of God by looking at their primary relationships. Week one was brother. Last week was father. Today is husband. Don't start playing with your phone if you're not a husband today. This affects you. It is relevant to you. Listen. The world defines a man's strength by his abilities. And there are lots of opinions out there on what it means to be a man and specifically what it means to be a good husband. Let's listen to, let's just take a poll here. What does it mean to be a good husband? Give me some words. What's that? Good listener. <laughs> if you didn't catch that, Catherine said a good listener, and her husband said, What'd you say? That was awesome. That's why Gabe's one of the funniest people I know. Anything else? Provider, protector, faithful, leader. Somebody read my notes ahead of time. What's that? Knows when to stop talking. That goes with listening, Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> kind of is the same. What does it mean to be a good husband? I'm glad that we can go directly to the source, to the one who created us. Our key verse for both months is out of Genesis 1.27. It says, so that God, it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Most of us are familiar with the creation story. We know that God made the human beings 
But this phrase is what provoked my thesis or argument for these two series. It says that God placed his image on mankind, male and female. And regardless of what the culture tells me, I believe that men and women are fundamentally different. I've been married for 23 years. We're different. Okay. Good, bad, otherwise. We're different. So if we're different and God's image is placed on us equally, then my argument is that then that means that men must reflect some characteristics, characteristics of God differently than women reflect God. That's what we're getting at here. Week one, we learned that brothers reflect God's character by fighting alongside each other. If I know my brother is in battle with whatever, I simply walk up to him and say, who do you want me to punch? That's all guys want to know. I don't care who started it, whatever. You're my, you're my boy. I got you, right? Brothers fight alongside each other. That actually reflects the character of God, by the way. He always fights for us. Week two, we discovered that dads are designed to reflect God's image by naming their kids. What does that mean? I believe that guys, the dads, are designed by heaven to give their kids their identity and their direction. Their purpose. Today, God wants to show us that husbands were created to lead their homes. But, Pastor Adam, this isn't the 50s. Nope. Because guess what? It actually doesn't matter what's happening in the culture. God's Word will be God's Word then, now, and 60 years from now. We should expect, this is another one of our themes in these last two months, we should expect the Bible to sound different than our televisions. Okay? Now, unless you watch, like, Bible Channel all day long or something, but you get a life. Um, I really am this obnoxious. It's terrible. We should expect the Bible to sound different than the voices of our culture. Okay? So if something comes through the Bible that says, ah, uh-uh-uh, you need to figure out what the Bible is saying, and then you need to reckon what the culture is to the Bible, not the other way around. And that's, it's, that's getting us into a lot of trouble in the church today. The world defines... Strength by ability. Men are judged by what they do. We can hear the words of a godly husband, father, and leader in the words of Joshua, some of the most famous in the Bible. He says this in Joshua 24, 15, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors or will it be the gods of the Amorites in the land you live now? Pick something. Some of the best words in the Bible. This is Leadership 101. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe that God will judge men by how they lead the ones they are responsible for. I really do. This is why I opened up with a story about David. We said in week one that there is one thing that looks bad on every man. What's something that looks bad on every man? <laughs> but I'm Scottish. I can't wear my kilt. No, what looks bad on every man? Not just socks and sandals. 
fear, we said in week one. What looks bad on every man? Fear. We're not talking about being afraid of fish, spiders, and snakes. I do not like to take the fish off a hook. I just don't because they wriggle, and I don't like that. And I had to have my son and his friend get a one-foot-long garter snake out of the church. I don't like them. But we're not talking about that. That's just embarrassing. It's not destructive. It's not devastating. What's devastating is the fear of man. As we have moved through this series, we have seen how insecurity will cripple our relationships. Insecurity is the fear of not being enough, and it will undermine every relationship. Here's the thing about David. He seems to have figured this out at a very young age. Listen to some of the stages of David's life if you're not that familiar with his story. Most of us know about David and Goliath, but there's this whole series of things related to that. Before he even fights Goliath, he walks in to the tent where King Saul is. First of all, has to convince Saul that he, that he can or that he should be allowed to. And then Saul offers him up his own personal armor. What's King Saul saying to David? You need this to even have a chance. You are not enough on your own. And we talked about that last week on, on, with our Father's Day message, about somewhere along the way, a young man, a young woman, they need to be told that they are enough. Before he even gets into Saul's chamber, he finds his brothers just like he's supposed to. He's been sent from, by his dad to take them food and to hear what's going on. And he starts asking about this Goliath and what's going on. And it says that his brother, Eliab, looks at David and says, what are you talking about? You're just, you're just here to be prideful. You're just here for yourself. Has anybody else acted like they know your motivations? And they were wrong? And then he actually gets out in front of Goliath. And how kind is Goliath to David? It says that he cursed David. You send me a boy with a stick? You dog? Whatever else they said? There's trash talk in the Bible, okay? Get this. Even later, David is serving Saul, and it says that he refuses to, to dishonor Saul even when he was on the run for his own life. And I believe the capstone to this is how David acts after Saul dies. The man who had been bipolar in most of his life, had thrown a spear at his head, had hunted him for months, had finally passed away. And oh, by the way, David knows he's anointed to be the next king. 
how would you feel if you knew you were the next king and the guy who hated you and tried to kill you finally died? Are you crying about it? This said to David mourned. All of these examples stick out even more because they are contrasted step for step with Saul and his fear of other people's opinions. Why did Saul lose the throne? If you don't know, it specifically goes to one action, and that is because he was waiting for the prophet to do a sacrifice. He was worried about what the guys were thinking, all of the army, and he's like, oh man, I don't know if Samuel's going to make it. What's everybody going to think? I better do it. Worried about what other people think, he does the offering. Samuel shows up and says, you're done. It's just a matter of time, but you just lost the throne as far as God is concerned today. So what was David's secret for success? Why was he and is still regarded as Israel's greatest leader? How did he stay sure of himself in the craziest of situations? Have you had a spear thrown at your head? You might have had one like figuratively at work when somebody's hunting you. I've, I've had people try to get me fired before. It's awesome. But an, an actual spear? Nope. Get this. So I can ask you what he has, what's the secret of his, his success. Another way we can figure out what his secret for success is, is to look at what's missing in the middle of his failures, and he's famous for two. What's his most famous failure? Adultery with Bathsheba, having one of his best friends killed to marry his wife. Terrible, terrible, terrible. The other thing he does that, that hurts the heart of God, he has the people counted. What's a king's motivation to have all the people counted? Pride. So what's the secret for success and what's missing in his greatest failures? Are you ready for this? The secret to leading successfully is fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord. If you want to guarantee failure, don't fear God. If you want to have success in your life, fear the Lord. Okay. This doesn't sound like the ooey-gooey love that I came to this church to hear. You know, Jesus loves me. Yep, he does. He really, really does. So what is this fear thing? Because the last time I checked, I shouldn't be afraid of somebody I love and who loves me, right? Like, that's not a good relationship. What are we talking about? The fear of the Lord is never forgetting who He is. Now this happens in my house occasionally when my children forget who I am. Have your kids ever forgotten who you are? And they say something with a little bit of sass or a lot of sass or they don't do what you told them to do. Yeah, I was a kid too, and it's a lot of fun, actually. But one of my lines with my kids, 
because it's like you learn this in like Dad 101. I'm your dad. And when I hear, especially sass to my wife, I come in both barrels blazing, and I say, that is not how you talk to your mom, my wife. Like, don't forget who she is. So I love my kids. I live my life for my family. My wife does. We give, we serve, we love our kids. That should be a picture of how God, it should reflect how God loves us, right? But what happens when you forget who your mom or your dad is in relationship to you? What happens when mom or dad becomes, now when you're older it's okay a little bit, but what happens when a parent tries to be their teenager's friend instead of their parent? Are the results really that great? I just want my kids to talk to me. Doesn't really matter. It's great if they do, but it's more important that they know who you are. That's what we're talking about this fear of the Lord is. We're not talking about any lack of love. We are actually talking about love perfected. We're talking about the greatest love you could ever know, ever do. But it comes with this side of knowing the authority of God. And here's a little way that you can tell if you have the fear of the Lord. Do you walk in regular disobedience to Him? If your kids do, they don't fear you. Now, I'm not talking about abuse, like your kids should be afraid of you. That's not what we're talking about, right? You guys are with me? But if my kids are running rampant and consistently disobeying me, that means I've lost my place in their life. And so if we're living that way and we claim to be a believer, it means you really have forgotten who God is. Right? Why does this matter? Let's go back to Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6. So let's recap. David's got the kingdom together. He's got the city of David. He's brought the ark to it and he's dancing. It says he's dancing in a priestly garment. I believe that the difference between failure and success in this story is in verse 9. What did verse 9 say? It says, David was now afraid of the Lord. When he tried to bring back the ark the first time, he thought, I'm going to get a new cart. I'm going to put the ark of the covenant on top of the cart. It's, I'm going to do this in the way that I think is best. Guess what had been told exactly how to do hundreds of years before? God had given specific instructions on how to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And guess what it doesn't say? Buy a new cart and put it on and anybody can touch it. That's why it says, and that's why he got angry. Well, I don't know if you should preach about an angry God pastor. That's just, that's just not going to build the church. I'm not here for more numbers. I am. I want souls. But if you don't understand who God really is and appreciate His authority, His supremacy, and His order to things, and that He's the one in charge, I'm not going to set you up for success. And that's what we really want to do here.
Let's read what happens next. Is this okay? Is it okay if I read a story from the Bible? But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, it's a girl's name in this case. If your name is Michael, I'm sorry, guys. The daughter of Saul. Remember when he went to fight King or fight Goliath? This was one of the rewards. Whoever defeats Goliath gets to marry my daughter. This is who we're talking about. The daughter of Saul looks down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Have you ever been filled with contempt for another person? Have somebody ever been full of contempt towards you? They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Now he's doing everything by the book. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave to every man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Delicious thank you, King David. Then all the people returned to their homes. Are you picturing the celebration that has happened here? We're talking about thousands of people coming in procession from the house of Obed-Edom. The ark of the Lord is being carried by the priest. He places it in the tabernacle. The ark of the covenant is in the tabernacle in the center of the city of David. People are going nuts. He's giving away raisins and dates. It's awesome. And then he comes home. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. She's ticked. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. Ouch, burn. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrated before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. Burn again. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless through her entire life. Oh, there's got to be something big going on here. This isn't just a... Uh, a squabble. But I love the Bible because it's full of real stories about real people. We have a front row seat to a husband and wife word bash, basically. But this isn't just a front row seat to a heated argument. It's bigger than that. The whole country is cheering and then he gets home, and it's bad. What's David wearing that has Michael so upset? Now, in the translation I read today, is New, uh, New Living Translation, it said a priestly garment. Uh, depending on what version you have, you might see the words uh, linen ephod or something like that. What are we talking about here? This has been understood to be underwear, Loincloth, I mean, like, like, like that's the, the one end of it. 
to an actual like, just like a, a basic outfit that priests would wear in the temple. What are we talking about here? Priestly tunic. This was basically, I guess, I don't know if a guy would really wear this today, but like when I picture like uh, old English and you see guys in like a night shirt or something like that and tied off with a belt, like that's, that's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about a lighter garment. We're, I don't believe we're talking about underwear here, but we're talking about something that would be worn typically under his kingly robes. Stay with me. Why are we talking about underwear in church, Pastor Adam? This is weird. What are we talking about? Michael is trying to make this about what he was wearing. Did you hear her words? You're exposing yourself out in public. He wasn't naked. David knows that it's really about what he wasn't wearing. Stay with me. What? It says that she said in disgust. How distinguished does the king of Israel look today? What's she really worried about? What's she really worried about? What people think. Whose daughter is she? Saul's. What ruined his throne? Insecurity and worrying about what people think. An insecure person is constantly afraid of other people seeing them for who they really are. You're worried about being exposed. She's not worried that David will be seen in his tunic. She's worried that people aren't seeing him in his royal robes. What's the difference? David never needed the crown and the robes to know that he was the king. Didn't need him. If you're waiting for a title to feel validated in your life or to lead that's not what makes a leader he just wanted to dance before the Lord so he wore what he could move around in regardless of who was watching No degree, no promotion, no 10-year plan will bring you to true success, and no title will make you a real leader. Men having the fear of the Lord is how to lead properly. You are uniquely designed by God to lead, but you will make a mess of it unless you are submitted to God. And this is what the ladies are afraid of when I said, men, you're designed to lead your homes. And I've counseled people in trouble in their marriages before, and, and I've heard something like this from the lady's side. I would love to respect him, but he's acted or is acting disrespect, 
like unrespectable. He is not worthy of my devotion, basically. And guys, we're going to make our mistakes. The key to leaving, li, li, leading well, sorry for the Daffy Duck there, the key to leading well is to keep the fear of the Lord. Because if you're leading on His behalf, if you understand that everything you do in your family is going to be held accountable to Him, you're going to lead well. Having the fear of the Lord is one of the greatest insulators in your life against sin. Should you just love God enough to not want to sin? Yep. Should you just get to a place where you just don't want to? Yep. But what's a big part of keeping my kids from not doing certain things? What's one of the things that keeps my kid from disobedience? Say it louder. Discipline. I will rain down. <laughs> I'm going to take corrective action. And so if you know there are consequences to your sin, that's a piece of not sinning. It just is. Now, as you grow in love for somebody, then you're doing things out of a motivation for love and not just the fear part. And I think that's great too. But I believe it's a both and. You are des uniquely designed men by God to lead, but you will make a mess of it unless you are submitted to God. If a man is not submitted to God and he leads, look out. Because the motivations are all over the place. If it's pride, if it's power, if it's lust or whatever else, then... The results are messy. Don't wait for the crown and the robes. Lead now. And this is how you make a statement of leadership. It's as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You are keeping the fear of the Lord in that equation. It's not just saying I'm in charge. It's saying I'm going to serve God and you're going to serve God with me. But what if you don't have a household yet? What if you're single? What if you're young? What if you're divorced? What if you're at a different place in your life? What's that phrase start out with? As for me. The fear of the Lord starts with you. As for me, I serve the Lord. The best leaders lead others for others. What do I mean by that? The best dad and husband I can be is if I don't forget who I'm doing it for. I'm not just there to be king of my castle. I'm there to lead my castle for my king. Do you see the difference? I'm not just there to boss people around. Won't get away with it anyways. It's not about being the boss. It's not about having a title. It's about serving my family out of the fear of the Lord. Listen to Proverbs 14, 26-27. Those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. 
Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. Men, do you want to be a refuge for your family? Any guys out there? Men, do you want to be a refuge for your family? You do because you were designed by heaven to want to be that, by the way. Our human heart is selfish. We are out for ourselves. When you are responding to God's imprint on your life, then you're going to be doing things that come from the heart of God. God serves us. Jesus served us. And so a statement like, I want to be a refuge for my family, that comes from the heart of God. Do you want to be a life-giving fountain? Maybe you've never thought of it that way. Guys, do you want life to multiply from you into the people you are responsible for? You might not have ever thought about it that way, but what do you want for your kids? What do you want for your wife? Do you want them to have a better life because you're in it? Nod your head. You do. I do. So that means you're wanting to bring life into your marriage. That means you're wanting to bring life into your kids' lives. So guys, you're a fountain. Good job. What can we do to become the men that God has uniquely designed us to be? Three things as we close today. We need to see that being a leader is something strong that reflects the heart of God. What do I mean by that? That's a mouthful. Guys, we only do what we value. And this is a challenging word today. This is a challenge for you to lead as God has called you to lead. If you're only responsible for you, as for me. If you have a wife, as for me and my house. You have a wife and a gazillion kids, as for me and my house. You're responsible for just you at work, as for me. You're responsible for five people at work. Wherever you have influence, you're saying, I'm going to be the leader that God has designed me to be. This is a matter of answering the call, okay? Step one, see that being a leader is something strong. What do you do with something strong? You trust it. Take responsibility for the people God has given you to lead. Just you or millions like David, as for me. You see this as being valuable and so you trust it because it's strong. What do you do with something strong? You build on it. We've used this phrase in a few of these messages. You need to lead up, you need to lead over, and you need to lead down. You need to be in submission to somebody. A man who is not submitted is going to damage his own life and everybody else is attached to it. Have you seen that in another man's life? It might be part of your story in your past. It might be something you're walking out of today. A man who is not submitted really to another authority, another man really, a covering of some sort, and definitely not submitted to God, you're, you're going to be a mess. Uh, so what does this look like? Uh, for me, it means that I still honor what my own dad says to me. And it means that I keep a few people in my life 
that I stay accountable to. We're in a network of churches, and I, I keep that's on purpose. I, I want to be submitted to something else. That's, that's a protection for me. It keeps me from stupidity. It's, it's a covering. It's a, it's, a, it's a check valve. Okay, lead over. What does that mean? Guys, this goes along with the brother thing of fighting alongside each other. We need each other. And we can speak this truth into other guys' lives. And when we see a guy falling back and, and putting his sword on the shelf, we come alongside of him and say, what's going on? Why is your, I'll just be blunt, why is your wife leading your family? Why is she out praying you? Why is she out worshiping you? I'm not saying this to hurt your feelings. I'm saying this so that as, as guys will rise up to the, the thing that's been placed in us from the throne room of heaven, from the Creator. And so we come alongside and we encourage each other. Lead down. That's the most obvious of the, of the equation here. Leading's not about bossing people around. I'm still learning that one. Leading is about speaking life into them and bringing the people that you're responsible for into the fullness of what they were called to be. Right? That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for the people I work with. That's what I want for this church. I'm not just here to boss people around. Heaven, help me. Every person on the stage, every person out there, I want you to grow into the person that God has made you to be. There's a song that's been around for a while, country song, pop song, whatever you want to call it. Jesus, take the wheel. The worship team, if you guys want to come back up and, and uh, as we close today. Has anybody in here taught somebody else how to drive? It's fun. I've taught two. Benjamin's already like, Dad, can I learn how to drive a stick now? You're 13, buddy. I want to make sure you can't steal my car until you're 16. No. He's very anxious. My biggest concern for my kids driving is that they would be on one of two extremes. One is that they're driving afraid of everything. This was my oldest child. This was Lily. I believe if you drive scared, you are in big trouble, and you're, <laughs> you're just, you're not. I don't want you driving by me. <laughs> like, you're, you're going to cause trouble just being worried about trouble all the time. Uh, what's the other side? No fear. So this is my son. Just let me at it, Dad. I, I'm just going to drive. Well, no, you're not. This fear of the Lord thing is not about living in fear of being afraid of God and of cowering away from living for Him and being afraid to take the wheel. There will be times in your life 
where you do want to throw your hands up and say, God, I need you to take control. That's actually not biblically accurate. Sounds good. The truth of the matter is, He's given you a life to live. He's placed His image on you. And He wants to lead you. You actually have to stay behind the wheel. But when we live in submission to Him, when we live under His authority, when we live in obedience to Him, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So men, this word is a challenge to you that that steering wheel is yours for your life. There might be people in the car with you. What a precious gift to be responsible for other people. It should humble you and it should scare you. Just a little bit. Why? So that you take what you do seriously. And you lead on purpose. You lead your home in submission to God with His purposes for your life. Can we pray this morning? If you've never trusted God to lead you, to live in submission to Him, salvation is not just about taking His grace. It, it would be an incomplete message. It's there and it's wonderful. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He, he loves you so much. But the only way to live in a relationship with God successfully is to know who's in charge. And so a lot of people want Him to fix them. But it's another thing to allow God to lead you. If you've never said yes to Jesus, loving you and leading you before, and you want to follow Jesus today, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. This is big. There's no bigger decision you can make with your life than choosing to place it in submission to God. What about this message? I didn't say anything to hurt anybody's feelings. That wasn't my intent. The intent of the Word of God today is that you would see the awesome call of God on your life. And that you would appreciate the heaviness of it. And you would respond. Men, if you want to say yes, if you want to say as for me and mine today, we will serve the Lord. Would you raise your hand where you're at?
Make a statement to God. Say, I'm yours. My family's yours. I'm going to do my best. I see those hands. Guys, this is awesome. This is good stuff. This is the kind of stuff that, ladies, you should just be so thankful to Jesus for. Because it's good. Father God, I thank you for this room of people. God, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that you did not call us to a spirit of fear, God, but a spirit of love. And God, I thank you that your love and your goodness comes with an authority, God, that we should always honor in our lives. It's for our own good. Help us to love and lead the people that we're responsible for this morning. Help us to know that we're yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand up and sing as we close this morning.